Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Backdraft. draft, Brian McCaffrey, played by William Baldwin, returns to Chicago to become a firefighter just like his late father. Even though he's trying to avoid the contentious relationship with his brother Stephen, played by Kurt Russell, who is also a firefighter, Brian is assigned to work at the same station. Meanwhile, there is an expert arson on the loose, making their dangerous jobs even tougher. Screenplay by Gregory Wyden, directed by Ron Howard, and released on May 24th, 1991. You've seen Backdraft before? Yes, I've seen Backdraft. Yes, I've seen Backdraft. Well, uh, watch... I haven't <laughs> you're, seen... You're it. just whispering as well. Oh. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, and I remember going to the Backdraft experience in Universal. Universal. <laughs> Universal Studios, and you just go in a room, and someone just teaches you how a backdraft works okay (laughs) but um watching it now it just reminds me of a really long episode of chicago fire (laughs) Um, i've never seen chicago fire i don't i don't think i've seen a full episode of that um i've seen bits and pieces of this movie but not the full thing uh i don't know it's sort of like one of those things where you know how horror movies scared the crap out of me and I avoided all horror movies as a kid. I'm yeah, also they like make this deathly afraid of fire? my house catching on fire and oh. so I didn't want to watch a movie about things catching on fire. They made the fire here. I wrote that down. The they made the fire here as the enemy, quote unquote. Kind of there's points where they show um like doors expanding and it made me think of poltergeist and stuff like that yeah and i was wondering i know reading some reviews and i know this was written by someone who was a firefighter but it's just some seeing some of that i was like does that really happen my guess is yes okay because i'm like that's that is scary. I don't know. Yeah. But I don't know. I know reading some reviews, it was saying how some of these fires looked unrealistic, like um, from certain firefighters um, reviewing it or. Well, I know that there's like a couple it. shots where there's fire rolling along the floor. And yeah. And that's not possible. What they did is basically they just inverted the entire set and like stapled the furniture to the ceiling and so what you saw as the floor was actually the ceiling that's how they actually achieved that effect is they just turned everything upside down so there are some 
unrealistic things in this for sure but i think in general um i don't know i don't know i, I i'm i'm not well versed in science and physics of fire and stuff right to really me comment, neither but i but... would have to imagine it's relatively i don't know it's it's obviously very controlled because you have a lot of scenes with people in these high intense um environments who are not wearing masks 99 percent of the time and then and the so other think that the smoke would be building or obstructing view or whatever that and they would have like radio communications and whatever you, just and the way the, so you that's, can't that's breathe missing. either so it's yeah i mean it can't do you good to do that and there's this one part where steven it... says save your air you know like don't wear your mask save your air for later like no i don't think that's how that works it, i understand i know i don't know anything about fire fighter training but i get are you taught to do that i mean i know you're probably gonna have to hold your breath for long periods of times but you're doing like physical labor like running up several flights of stairs with all this heavy equipment including your what you're wearing because that's very heavy so right. it's like you're you're breathing a lot i don't yeah, but I mean, part of it is you're supposed to have like this oxygen tank yeah, put in the mask, and you know you'd think that the fire engines it. would have reserves and that there's enough people to kind of help with with that, because you don't I don't know it's like they say with um, you know when you're on a flight when a oxygen mask comes down you put it on yourself first and then you help anyone who needs help because you're not going to do anybody any good if you are yeah if you're unable to. Do it. Overcome, yeah, overcome yeah, by the you, smoke. Yeah. So, I mean, there's obviously some of that stuff that doesn't look quite right. Because it's, it's obviously super controlled so they get the shots and, and be there for a long period of time. So they have to really have controlled fire. But what's there looks amazing. You know, still really impressive effects overall. Yeah. Um, the it, other note I had was that when they were finished putting out the fires everyone was smoking yes around it <laughs> it just made me laugh yeah and i don't know if that's just like a small commentary thing or if it's like oh well we know how to control fire and so we're smoking i don't know like to yeah I'm... but it was weird to see robert de niro's investigator character investigating while smoking I, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure it doesn't have any actual this impact. This is like the 80s and 90s or something where everyone's... But... but, yeah. It's just funny how they're putting out fire. I don't know what that message is. They're putting out fires and then immediately taking a drag off of a cigarette and then smoking. But still, they're looking for any little embers or anything because there could be a tiny fire that could start. Yeah, you like wouldn't the, think that they'd want to smoke while, like, inside and inside, reignite something yeah. on accident. Um, I don't know. The, the other thing I noticed a lot was there's usually two or three people inside. And then anytime you see a shot of outside of the building, like when they rescue somebody, there's, like, 20 guys just hanging out, doing nothing. 
it's, laughing usually they're outside um like dealing with the hose turning on the water and whatever i understand but it, it just seemed weird like you know they're like these they were like massive, literally joking yeah like, yeah massive factory fires yeah or like that opening scene where you know you have uh brian who rescues what he thought is a person but ends up being a mannequin and then there's like 20 dudes out there giving him shit and like joking it up and like ah isn't that amazing and they're all like like playing practical jokes meanwhile the fire is still happening yeah like it's still actively going on i don't know the chain like, of command of shit, this stuff weird shit like that kind of like is, is i don't know or like that big big fire at the end where you know like give this elevator shaft that's on fire and like barrels exploding everywhere yeah they and have there's five three men people that... yeah inside and it's like the three main characters with the big confrontation nobody else is around but there's other there's backup eventually those are probably the backup people but i don't so it's like three people out of each fire truck are inside actively taking out there's like 20 people just laughing it up like oh we're good i don't know i don't know enough about the firefighter crews and how things work obviously you need to have people controlling the scenes yeah you need someone outside so I get it, but at the same time, it seemed like it was way too few for the scenarios that they presented in the movie. That's all. Yeah. Um, it's it's easy for us to comment on these things as non-firefighters who yeah. don't actually know all the rules. So, I mean, take take our criticisms there with, you know, a little bit of salt. Yeah, I mean, I just, like, when I saw them in an elevator, I was like what but yeah i mean they probably take it up to like a certain flight and then go up a few stairs who knows yeah i mean if, if they know where this the fire is contained then they know how far up they can go safely in the elevator potentially so i mean there's there's different aspects to it i bet uh in yeah 9-11 was a whole different beast since the whole building could collapse at any moment and who knows but right um so i mean this movie just starts off where it's the two brothers they're like giving each other shit. You're talking about 1971. Yeah, the 71 brothers. <laughs> yeah, there's two little kids. They're arguing in the firehouse about like how to put on the coat, and I don't yeah. know how old they are, but like the one looks like he's maybe 13ish. Yeah, Stephen is, is like 12, and um, Brian is seven. Oh, do they say or? I just went online to look at their ages. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway, so anyway, they're arguing in a firehouse. The dad gets sent out on a call, so you know he's dead. Um, <laughs> like, like honestly, it's very obvious to tell. Like, okay, we're in the past. You know, they're they're in the firehouse, and the dad gets called away to a fire, and one of the kids gets to come along with. So, I'm sure everything's gonna be just fine. Um, so he brings in little Brian. And I didn't realize that Kurt Russell was also playing the dad. Because when I saw Kurt Russell come down, I was like, oh, so he's playing the older brother and the father. Yeah, he's not credited. As the father. Yeah, there's there's no one listed as credited, you know, in, in that role. In, in the end. So, uh, but yeah, technically a dual role. Um, so yeah, Brian gets to see his dad jumping across a fire escape, being this hero and, you know, like rescuing somebody from the top floor of a building. But there's also something that went terribly wrong as when they're trying to like vent the place, um, 
the co-worker axe john adcox mm-hmm. uh accidentally ruptures a gas line and then it explodes the entire top part of the building just as the dad is able to push axe away so brian gets to watch his father get blown up his helmet falls from the sky mm-hmm. brian picks it up and then he's able to you know, he holds it looking up crying and um, then it's like 20 years later yeah super super melodramatic beginning um, and they also have the Hans Zimmer score adding to the melodrama just you know very yeah it's very much like it's very operatic yeah it's it, it's like a hero's score type of a thing and then yeah it's just um this little poor child seeing their father burn to death almost and... like a superhero score turn tragic yeah and then we see 20 years later they're at a bar because brian just graduated from the academy firefighters academy mm-hmm. and there's like a close they do like a close-up shot of a time magazine cover and it's as brian at the age of seven holding his father's firefighter helmet staring into the sky with like this why look on his face yeah just i mean obviously like distraught yeah and but it, it, at first we i'm like, like well like, how the how did they get that picture yeah that's and then i said by drone but obviously there's no, no drones and I mean, stuff but I, I got the screenshots of the movie already um <laughs> and it's like who came by to look at the there like was, a helicopter well yeah okay there wasn't a helicopter it wasn't that high up um I don't know. The, the Life magazine was a little more straightforward than we thought at first. It wasn't oh. like from from the top of the building the way we thought it was. But there is a photographer who's in the scene, like circling the kid oh. as you as the camera pans up to the sky. So it's like kind of like a our mixed memories of seeing like the crane shot pulling back. Mm-hmm. We interpreted that as like the Life magazine cover cover yeah but yeah there's like a photographer who's basically just uh, you know exploiting the tragedy and just circling around this yeah and it became, kid whose dad just died yeah and it became the cover of life magazine for that year so he's somewhat famous from that cover and that's kind of like this there's like this whole rivalry whatever between well, siblings <laughs> steven and brian I don't even know if that's that. Like, here's the thing. Like, one of the things I don't like about this movie is that it doesn't explain enough about their relationships. Like, there, it's very obviously a strained relationship. We know early on because after the bar scene, we run into Jen, who's Brian's former lover, who supposedly last saw him six years ago. Brian's been in and out of life. He left Chicago, pursued a whole bunch of different business opportunities that he just completely abandons one after another, and now he's here to be a firefighter. No one thinks he's actually serious about this because he hasn't been yeah. serious about anything in his life. But they don't really go into a lot of the backstory. Like You can kind of interpret, like, oh, I'm just running away from my trauma, but that's it. You know, like, you know, there's there's no, like, actual conversations yeah, don't know about what it. They don't talk been... about the abandonment and all this other stuff. Yeah, the, the, and they don't really bring it up. Like, Stephen didn't say anything. Like, yeah, for the past six years, you haven't been around, blah, blah, blah. Like, they don't... 
no like, talk like, about there's like one why brief he was scene gone. where he's like you know where he goes where he's to... talking about like oh it was really hard to like i pretty much had to raise you when dad died and it was hard but that was like a 10 second conversation where they talk about that they don't get any complexities of it or what the mom had to deal with or any of those types of pieces of baggage that's all yeah they don't talk about their mother did they even have a mother that was alive they must have because they didn't talk about being orphaned but when he visits steven because steven does not go to brian's graduation thing at this bar right so he goes to steven's house and you know he sees steven's son who i don't even know his name did they even give him a name they did (laughs) yeah you don't see the son for like i don't know you see him like two times and he's out playing in the front of their house and brian's like oh you've grown so big don't you remember me and the kid's like "Eh," like runs back in there yeah because it's been six years and the kid's like eight years old yeah he's like i don't know who you are um and then, yeah, Helen, the wife, played by Rebecca DeMornay, is basically just like, yeah, I mean, you gotta talk to your brother, because he doesn't even live here anymore. <laughs> like, it's, it's amazing how like, we've helpful been and understanding yeah. she is about the whole situation. Like, she's not like, what the fuck? She's like, oh, this is, this is shitty for you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, oh, you, you need a better relationship with your brother. And then... He lit, so he hasn't been living at that house for a little over a because she said he left last April, but we don't know. So it's been about a year that they've been separated. I yeah, guess. I can't remember if they told the month when they did the flash forward. Right, and then we go to where Stephen lives, and he lives on this like little tugboat that used to be owned by their father near the river and mm-hmm. i was like if he's been living there for a year at least how do you survive the winters i don't know if he thought it out that far but he must have he also could just like sort of live there. at the firehouse if he kind of wanted to yeah you could because it's so isn't you could <laughs> i mean people do Maybe. like when you're yeah. on the when you're on the clock i think you have to be there 24 yeah. hours a day so you know i just thought that was because that's a little tugboat thing that's not even on the water it's just to the side of the water <laughs> no it's I... very run down and dilapidated yeah it's not it's not a cool houseboat like uh, drop dead fred or something like that right yeah it's very run down um so yeah i mean it's just the relationships in general kind of bothered me in this movie i mean you have jen that we mentioned before played by jennifer jason lee yeah who is really mad at brian when she runs across him at you know at the bar after the graduation he's like oh you're just gonna pretend like nothing has happened yeah we don't know and what did like the next (laughs) and then like the next scene they're like in love with each other basically again yeah, it's there's no backstory. So like she then becomes like nothing's happened. Yeah, all we know is that they last saw each other six years ago. So he, he ran just, out because that's his history of just yeah. He out. just up and ghosted her, I guess. And I guess um, after yeah, because at that bar, wherever it was, um, her she's out with her grandmother or her mom, but it was grandma. The grandmother 
comes up to him first and is like yelling at him in Polish and he's like what the fuck and then he sees her Jennifer Jason Lee or aka Jennifer mm-hmm. <laughs> um and she's like oh my grandma's still mad at you for what you did and we're like what did he so he what did he do <laughs> like was it just that he let up and left or did he do something worse yeah we don't yeah we just don't know everyone's history besides their dad dying in front of his eyes like we know more about her work history than we do about their relationship history because they talk about how oh she used to do such and such and now she's worked her way up in in the alderman's office he's running for mayor and he's like the big baddie aside from the firefighter right um yeah she's like i don't want to go back to being working at like a grocery store check like at the checking counter or whatever I've, I've worked hard to be in this position and she's doing really well and that's that's after when she finds when she's starting to find out what's going on with the alderman that she's working for yeah so there's this arsonist plot because if fires weren't exciting enough you, you also need to have arson yeah, You know, I think that's, you know, a, a normal, typical angle you would take for a firefighting movie. And there really aren't all that many firefighting movies. I really can't think of too many off the top of my head. Um, because I think, honestly, like the... I feel like this is the only one. <laughs> it's honestly surprising that there haven't been more since this. Because special effects have improved. Yeah, but I don't think... There has to be, because now there's just TV shows about firefighters. Yeah, but you could say that about, like, police. Yeah. There's dozens of police shows. There have been, like, two firefighting shows. And there's dozens of police movies every year. Yeah, I don't know why they don't so, have a firefighting movie. And, unless I mean, they're, I like, documentaries just... about... 9-11 those are like the only fire but that's not even necessarily fire related you know what i mean that's like yeah. rescue related so okay you want so fight like you want like a serial kill an arsonist you want a serial killer that no i'm not saying that i'm just saying like it's, pyro... it's interesting that such a prominent first responder position yeah doesn't get a lot of anywhere close to the same media recognition as something like cops yeah or even like ambulance drivers have had more movies and stuff you know like got like ambulance and bringing out the dead and others like it's it's easier to do those stories when you're doing something like backdraft you have to do meticulous planning to make sure that the fire scenes are yeah, because well they're using and don't go awry real and hurt fire. People. Yeah. So I understand why, but it's also a little surprising that there haven't been a few more because special effects can take away some of those dangers by this point. Yeah, okay. That's sort of what I'm getting. You at. want like CGI'd fires? Well, I'm just saying you could do CGI fires. I'm not saying I want that. Um, but I don't even remember where I was going. Anyway, oh yeah, so like the, the natural fires. progression, the natural <laughs> progression for a fire movie would be to have an arson as yeah. a, the main villain, and that's kind of true here. Um, it, there, there's somebody there, so it kind of turns into like this murder mystery type of a movie in a sense. Kinda. But like, just like the relationships, everything's just 
simplified to the nth degree. And that's that's one of the biggest issues is like everything is just bare bones. Yeah, because we... Except for the action? We are... Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> think that's... Fun, like, the action, the action is, is good. Yeah. Yes, yes. So it's like they the story is just like, oh, we need a story <laughs> around these cool fire scenes. Yeah. And obviously arson is, is a natural progression, and so they come up with this thing where, you know, these backdrafts, which is an actual thing, actual phenomenon between, you know, when, when dealing with fire sometimes. Yeah. Um, this person has been able to orchestrate and plan his arson murders so it will do minimal damage to the structure, um, do minimal damage to whatever else, but will still definitely kill the victim. Because when they open up the door, they don't have any indication that there is a fire, and then they're right. just blown away in this barrel of smoke. Or flames. Uh, and we see that happen a couple different times. And the way the alderman mayoral candidate is involved, J.T. Walsh, playing uh, Martin Swayzak, uh, he's connected to these people. Like, it's, it's business partners of him. And yeah. so the, the idea is that maybe he's behind the whole thing and he's trying to eliminate his business partners to get rid of evidence of whatever. Because evidently what's happening is he's trying to do something and shut down different firehouses in to order make... to build some other stuff and make more money. Yeah, he he wants to make community centers. Or which, which I was like, again, okay. It's, it's kind of a stupid plot. Like, oh yeah, let's get rid of... Fire houses. Yeah. That the community will revolt against you for closing these down to build community centers. And how is that going to profit? I didn't understand, like, his position. Like, they could have easily just switched it to fucking condos and it would have made more sense. Yeah, it's like, I want. Yeah, he could have turned them into houses. But let's turn it into, like, this place where youth can come and gather for free and somehow that will be more profitable and better for him i guess it, i guess the idea behind it was that there would be a lot of construction contracts that they could give out and they could also be part of i don't know it's it, again it's, it's simplified it but also like we don't know what's not i good. still don't know what's going on i was i didn't understand his position like why he wanted that like, he didn't explain why no it was but just like i'm gonna do it yeah, they don't let anybody explain why. It's just like, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, you're exposed now. Oh, this guy actually, and now goodbye. Yeah. And then he apparently is just like this big wig alderman guy who is running for mayor. And it's kind of like near the end, it's kind of looking that he's going to win because when they do confront him, this is at the very end. Yeah, I don't think they, he's, they I like. Think he, I don't know. Again, they gloss ex- over everything, but it right. seems like he's probably going to win because he was rescued by the firefighters from the right. real arson. Because surprise, he's not actually the culprit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they get a good lead, by the way, Brian's no longer necessarily an active firefighter. At some point, he goes and joins Robert De Niro to be a fire investigator because Jen is able to appoint that position on behalf of the alderman. I guess they're all in the same ward. And um, Alderman has that power to do that. I don't know. Uh, and 
but, whatever. Yeah, the, at the, the very contentious end, stuff between Steven and Brian is like, oh, well, fuck you, Steven, I'm gonna go work for Ringale instead. Yeah. Yeah, but the at the very, very end, it's like they interrupt Swayzak and he's at some press conference for something. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when they confront him and say that Swayzak was engineering this whole thing where he wants to downsize Chicago fire departments and destroying they wanted to destroy his mayoral ambitions in front of because I think he was being televised so yeah I think it was like this. a live conference probably yeah. or at least there was a bunch of press that knew what was, was there so they're like so. let's confront him where you know there's media there to see it but yeah there's a point so, yeah, Brian. after Brian graduates from the academy, it's him and one other guy from his uh, graduating class that are going to be assigned to the same firehouse as him where his brother Steven is at. And that's um, Tim Kuzminski. And then that's Jason Gedrick. I know that. Yeah. He's been in a bunch of TV yeah. shows. And Iron Eagle. Sweet Justice, Murder One, Easy Streets, Boomtown. Um, he's way too excited about yeah, tragedy. He's... <laughs> he's like, hell yeah, fire! Yeah, he's So just you know he's, very... he's gonna get fucking wrecked. Right. Again, like, it's just telegraphing everything. Yeah. <laughs> whole... well, I mean, like... this is why it reminds me so much of Chicago Fire. I'm like, I... I've seen this, but I don't know. Like, this is a whole season of all this, whatever. Mm. But, um, yeah, so he, yeah, he's just, like, excited. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna be a firefighter. Let's take out some fire. He's like, oh, boy, good golly gee whiz. Let's go put out this fire. And, all right, you're fucking dead. But he's doing a good job, whereas Brian... I guess, except he didn't check the door and he gets hit by a backdraft later. Okay, but there's a point where, like, one of the first, the first fire, I guess, they go to is at that shirt factory, it's a factory, like a shirt factory, factory. like a garment factory. Steven is just, like, telling his brother to stay by his side and, you know, don't move, but he's, Brian kind of goes off because he hears someone screaming for help. Mm-hmm. And he goes to wherever that screaming is, and he thinks he's helping someone, but he's rescuing a mannequin. And everyone makes fun of him for that. Yeah. A- after and that, Steven, he's just being. And then Stephen like, also thinks, "Oh, you abandoned us because you, you know, whatever." Meanwhile, he thought to he become was, this hero, and then look what you did. Well, Stephen didn't even know that part. He's like, "Oh, I told you to stay by my side. You didn't stay by my side. You left just like you leave everything." Like that's uh, the recurring theme that happens throughout every single conversation that they have. Yeah. It's like even when he's there, like they're you know they're climbing up the stairs and like racing whatever, and then like Stephen gives him shit for that, and he's like, "Well, why don't you just leave? You leave everything." Right. Like, that's every... That's how everything goes. 
and just kind of gets Yeah, he's exhausted. just automatically... I mean, he's already giving him so he's like shit. pushing because... him out. He's pushing Brian out by basically saying, like, look, I don't want you here. And that's actually kind of... They kind of indicate that that's Stephen's motivations. Like, I don't want Brian getting killed under my watch or whatever. He's probably going to get killed, so I want him out. I don't mm. want him to even try to be a firefighter because, you know, unless yeah, he's, like, 100% like he's... serious, it's, it's over. Yeah, he's protecting him in a way, but also, like, shunning him out and not giving him a chance. Yeah, but they don't have enough legitimate conversations about these things to build the relationship. Yeah, that he's just like, he's my brother, protect him, but I also, also kind of hate him. Guy. Yeah, he, like, kind of hate him because he left me to do all this other bullshit. So, fuck him. But, but like, don't... Of- because he's always sticking up for him because when they do go to that part, this is pretty much like the next day where they go to a retirement party for another firefighter. Yeah. Um, It's in the papers that it's said that Brian rescued a woman, but he didn't do it. Right. Because the everyone... press took a picture of him again. Taking someone out of the fire and it was him holding that mannequin. And Brian even was like, if you look closer, it's a mannequin, and then people start making fun of him. Right. And Stephen jumps in. He's like, don't say that about my brother. So he is protective over his brother, but then he's also kind of, like, mad at his brother for even doing anything. <laughs> yeah, and there's obviously this other aspect of Stephen where everything he says has to be right. Right? Especially yeah. in the firefighting scenes where he he constantly just goes rogue and he does whatever he wants and yeah. goes against safety protocols. And it works out. But there, you know, could always be a time where it doesn't work out. And everyone's trying to warn him, like, hey, no, don't do this, don't do this. And he's like, no, I know how fire works. Like, I, right. like he, you know, he's like having these conversations. Like, we know about, about his relationship to fire because he's like, I know how it thinks. I know how it breathes. I know it's mind. All this kind of shit. Mm. And so he just, you know, he jumps over things and he does things he's not supposed to do. And yay, yay, yay. I mean, but he does come out as a hero because he's always saving, like, little babies and kids and stuff. So Yeah, like the iconic that shot from the scene. trailer where he, like, yeah. has the kid under his arm running yeah. out of the smoke. So they kind of forgive him because... Even though, yeah, he gets results. Even though he's not following the rules, but he is saving people, and that's what the goal is. Yeah. Um, and then you have the arson character, which I didn't even. I was like, "Who is he?" For about five minutes until I figured out. Oh, he's was he the arsonist that started the fire that killed the dad? That's the implication. Okay. Um, and he's like on parole, but they don't want him to. He's up for parole. Up for parole, but they don't want him to be released. Yeah. So okay, there's there's again a lot of interpretation that you have to make on your own in here. Yeah. But my imperson my my personal imper- my personal interpretation is that Donald Rimgale busted Ronald Bartel. Okay. And he knows that this guy is not reformed, and so every year when he's up for parole, he comes, he has to go shuts in. it down, yeah, and makes sure he doesn't get out because he's about to get out mm-hmm. until he comes and shows him like this burned remnant from one of the the fires that he investigated, and basically said, you know, like 
like, don't you want to watch the world burn, basically? And he's like, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, like, oh, I'm so happy to be this arsonist, and I'm totally going to be one after I leave. Yeah, but he's telling the parole board, no, I'm reformed, until he yeah. sees, like, a burned doll, and he's like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, Donald Sutherland's performance here is interesting, but it's, like, far too childlike. He's acting like a little toddler most of the time. Like, oh, it was like someone. I mean, I don't. Like these goofy smiles you know with they, every like sentence that involves fire. Right. I mean, that they don't go into this character at all. So I don't know if there's something wrong with him, like mentally. Well, you he's know? an arsonist. He's so an arsonist. So then they make him feel mentally. as if he's like this little kid who's obsessed with fire. I guess like so. he's Beavis and Butthead, and he's going, yeah, fire. Yeah, like, yeah, he's exactly like that. It's not that far off, honestly. Um, and then he becomes like the Hannibal Lecter type of a character where he gets consulted by Brian's character. Like, hey, what am I missing here? There's got to be something going on. And he helps lead him to the true identity. Yeah. Like, Which where is... the origin of these backdraft type fires are all of a sudden happening and killing or injuring a lot of firefighters. Or people, too. Yeah. So it's... There's a lot going... It's a two and a half hour movie. It's a long one. And there's a lot of plot, but none of it's great. <laughs> I don't know. The, uh, I'm talking myself out of liking this movie. Because, <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I did like the movie. It's all about the fire. It's all about the fire and the action. Yeah. It really is. And thankfully, there is a lot of that. Yeah, it's not like Rocketeer where you get three or four times you see him flying around on the rocket Rocketeer. Yeah. I don't think they actually called the Rocket Pack the Rocketeer. Well, they just but, called yeah, the guy yeah, yeah. Rocketeer. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but when you call a movie the Rocketeer, you want to yeah. see some dude flying around. And here it's called backdraft, and we see we see several, literal backdraft <laughs> left and right, but yeah. And it is scary, and it is yeah. crazy fire effects, and they're fascinating to watch. And yeah, some of them are like peppered with actual fireworks at the end when you have like the barrels shooting up, and you see like sparks from the right, sides. But especially at the okay. end, because <laughs> okay. you want to see that. But yeah, yeah, you need to like up it, and you see like a lot of outside explosions and everything. It's it's an R-rated movie, which is another thing that surprised me, because I thought it was a PG-13 thing. Is it because of the, um, like, the, th they show well, a couple of gruesome scenes. There's, couple. yeah, there's some gruesome scenes. There's, like, charred remains. Bodies. There is a bunch of F-bombs. There's butts in the shower. Yeah. Um, you know, you have a sex scene that doesn't actually show anything, uh, but... It's, it's this an adult is an movie. adult movie. It's an adult movie, and I didn't realize that, honestly. I thought it was a PG-13 thing because of how popular it was. Yeah, and it's known as an action thriller, which... I guess it's because you have a murderer on the loose or whatever. I don't know. I do really appreciate the way that they did the stuff. Okay, so here's, here's, the, here's the criminal, um, mm -hmm. Adcox. Yes. Is the actual arson. 
the way they find that out is that they go to confront Swayzak. By they, I mean Brian and Rimgale go to confront Swayzak at his house. They find him unconscious, and the arson is there setting up the next backdraft. They confront him, they burn him on the electrical socket, and later on, Brian sees the scar on the shoulder of Agcox in the same spot. Yeah. So now they know for sure... Uh, at one point, he thought it was Stephen. He thought it was his brother yeah. because he's at the houseboat and he has these containers of the accelerant or whatever it is. Um, maybe not accelerant, but some component of the fire the mechanism draft, yeah. that would have only come from this older stuff that he had. Him. And, well, Rimgale was like, these fires are being started by someone who actually knows what they're doing. Yeah. So Rimgale but is also like... It's like older stuff that isn't readily available yeah rimgale is like i think a firefighter has been doing these backdrafts no that's that's bartell that's oh, the person who's giving him those clues oh uh, okay okay that's giving all... brian the clue yeah like the only okay so rimgale some... puts together the components of it and then rimgale is incapacitated because after that the fire explodes and his yeah. shoulder gets impaled and so he's in the hospital and brian goes to ask to arson for help yeah okay yeah and donald Sutherland's like i think in a firefighter is the he's one like, behind oh, this but who would know who knows more about fires <laughs> like i don't i don't like his performance <laughs> <laughs> right he, he's not as like goofy as that in his but he's honestly not too far off in my personal opinion. And so, and then Dennis just automatically thinks it's his brother. Yeah, because he knows that the stuff on his houseboat right. had that stuff. Yeah. And he has, you know, like the, the edge and he's angry about stuff. And he has physically confronted Swayzak in public before. He's hiding, he's not hiding his contempt for Swayzak. I'm just, so, um, you know, I'm just saying like, you know how many firefighters are in the city of Chicago? <laughs> like he just automatically thinks, oh, it's my brother. Well, but, it's because of the old stuff in the boat. Yeah. Like that's, that's the main thing, right? Like I know my brother has old stuff on his boat. I saw it before. I think it's the yeah, same stuff. So he goes to him. confront him and he looks at the stuff and he's like, oh, this is the stuff. <laughs> uh, and so it must be him. And then meanwhile, they have a fight, whatever. And then they both realize, oh shit, it's Adcox. Well, Stephen. Yeah, they they realize Stephen figures it out by looking at his old stuff. That yeah, he as well. He's like, oh, I got this from it's Ad- me, but it must mean that it's yeah. Adcox. I got it from I got these from Adcox. But when they both realize it, like pretty much at the same time, but at different parts of the city, yeah. because is at the firehouse. And he sees and breaks into Stephen's locker. Yeah. But as he's doing that, that's when he sees Ed Cox coming out of the shower. And then he sees that scar on his shoulder. Yeah. And it's like, the, and then he leaves. But as Stephen catches up and he's like, it's Ed Cox. And then they're both like, yeah. yeah. But, and then they talk about it. And then you see Ed Cox on like the third floor looking down, 
listening to their conversation. Uh, yeah. It's it's so stupid. <laughs> um, and then they get a fire call like immediately after. So all three of them have to go and like be buddies yeah, and they all enough know. to fire what. Yeah, and everyone knows the secrets and stuff. But what I really like about this movie though is that it doesn't. Adcox doesn't turn on them. Right, no. like when they're confronting each other about it, it's honestly just like a legitimate conversation. Yeah, it's like the best conversation in the entire movie. Yeah, because it's <laughs> the two brothers. They're finally not fighting, and they're like, "Let's, we have a common goal now." Yeah, but it's also like Adcock's not fighting them physically uh-huh. either. You know, he's like trying to like plead his case. He's like, "Yeah, you caught me," and like normally in most movies, like, "Oh, you caught me, so now I gotta kill you." Right. Now yeah. it's like, "Oh, you caught me," but. Dude, I had to. They're gonna like they're hurting firefighters. They're shutting us down. Like, don't you understand? Like, let me get you on my side, type of a thing. He could have. They could have had that conversation on their way to the fire. They were going to. They could have. Yeah. He's like, look, I. But it's more intense to have. I heard you guys talk about this. Flames all around. Them. Yeah, I don't know. And yeah, so, I get you know, it. The only three people who were in the building are not actually fighting the fire at the time. It's just like, why have that? confrontation when the building's collapsing around you. <laughs> yeah. And I also like that, you know, when Ed Cox is cornered and he has the axe and it makes it seem like, okay, now he's going to start swinging at Steven. No. He doesn't. He's like, like he thinks about it, but he's like, no, I can't, I'm not going to turn against my firefighters. And then like, you know. Well, plus he's kind he gets, of like. You know, gets he gets a. Uh, Caught in, like, a collapse, and he has to be rescued by Stephen. Right. But or tries to be. He's also kind of, like, a father to them, too. Yeah. Because he was there. Like He, he was, was there when their father died. died. Yeah. And, he, and when they're mad, because before that, at that high-rise fire, is that where Tim... That, that's where Tim got nearly killed. Yeah. It's, like major burns he's disfigured forever now they don't show him too much afterwards but you see like his nasty charred body and Um, it's not good but he's still alive yeah basically that was him getting rid of the other person like the last of the accomplices before swayzak and um tim just didn't follow procedure and everything would have been fine for tim if he would have listened and also, Steven. if Stephen had not gone rogue and did things his own way and would have followed... Pro- so, yeah, Brian is mad at Stephen for leaving Tim at that point to get him charred almost death. Yeah, Ed so, Cox is also mad that, like, that happened. He's like, yeah, Ed Cox big, is, Everyone's big, mad at Stephen. Big Steven. argument at the hospital about it. And, but Ed Cox was you know trying to stall everyone he's like no just we'll wait for backup and steven's like no we gotta go in blah 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 and that's what the confrontation is in the very last fire in that whatever building they were in yeah where it was collapsing it's like fire everywhere floor ceiling walls floors collapsing and the three guys are not even putting fires out they're all just fighting yeah (laughs) amongst this fire but the the point where and then all of a sudden there's like firefighters taking care of them and then you see brian all of a sudden putting out a fire steven is like that's my brother over there 
I don't know. I was kind of cracking up, even though that's like supposed to be a proud moment. He's like, look at my brother over there putting out a fire. Yeah. <laughs> that was just so cheesy. Yeah, there's a lot of cheesy moments in this whole thing. But anyway, so like quickly skipping to the end, I think. Um, so Hancock's the things collapse under him. He's about to fall into the fire. Steven tries to grab him. Brian tries to grab Steven, but too little too late. Both of them fall. Adcox is dead. Steven lands on another floor down mm-hmm. below, but is like impaled injured. or injured in some way. Uh, goes to an ambulance after the fact and uh, I guess bleeds out there after like a quick little heart to heart talk. Right, yeah, they're having a heart to heart talk and Steven's just telling Brian, like, don't throw Ed Cox under the bus. Don't tell them what. Yeah, because Ed Cox is is gone now. Yeah, so, and this is not going to happen anymore, so just don't tell anyone. But that also means the city thinks that an arson is still out there. Yeah. But then that's when the. Once Steven is dead in that ambulance the they get the help from the police and that's when they interrupt Swayzak at that press conference yeah because they have enough evidence information to show, yeah like, this is what they're doing to ruin firefighters um and then basically the end and like you know brian is now helping out some other young recruit who's looking like so nervous that he's going off to a fire like why did you join yeah, it's just Brian now is in. So now Steve he's like the old vet. Yeah. The more more we talk about it, the less I like the story of this. <laughs> okay. And, and it is a long story. So. Whatever. But I mean, it looks it looks really nice visually. The effects are amazing. That's about all we got. Uh, oh, we also didn't talk about the Bruce Hornsby songs. They're played during the montage of yeah, the terrible things they have to do. Yeah, I was going to say that later, but... Oh, okay. I mean, our, we can just do it now. Because like, the score is by Hans Zimmer, but there are two featured songs, and they're both by Bruce Hornsby, and one of them was played when they do that montage sing thing where the two brothers are racing up the stairs with, you know, hoses and whatever. And I was like, what's up with... I was like, why is our friend Bruce Hornsby all over the place all of a sudden? But it, one of the songs is called The Show Goes On. But that was like a previously released single that was on Bruce Hornsby's second album that came out in like 1989. So they just like used that song for this scene. Hmm. But then he made the the second song that was like at the end credits that's a new song that bruce hornsby did for this movie and it's called set in motion it was not as popular as brian adams it's all we know yeah i i I have not seen bruce hornsby on any of the top lists even on the bottom so maybe he's like just middle yeah could be middle tier um let's talk about some of the cast and crew because there's a lot yeah to go over here uh, we got Ron Howard as the director, Oscar winner for directing and producing A Beautiful Mind, also nominated for both of those roles in Frost Nixon, Golden Globe winner for his acting roles in Happy Days, nominated for The Shootist, 
Apollo 13, Beautiful Mind, Frost Nixon, Emmy winner for From the Earth to the Moon, nominated for producing several other uh, shows. Razzie nominated for directing The Da Vinci Code and Hillbilly Elegy. I forgot that was his. Um, he's also directed things like Grand Theft Auto, Splash, Cocoon, Willow, Parenthood, Rush, Solo, A Star Wars Story, which is another one I forgot was his. On the acting side, Andy Griffith Show, of course, was his big start. Uh, also American Graffiti and Arrested Development as a narrator. Gregory Wyden, we talked about, he's a former firefighter who uh, the story was inspired by uh, apparently one of his colleagues uh, who had been injured or killed in a backdraft at some point uh, he's also in there somewhere as an engine lieutenant there is a lot of firefighters actual firefighters who yeah. peppered this movie um, he also has written Highlander and The Prophecy and he's credited as you know the characters for all of the many 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 spinoffs for both of those properties Kurt Russell as Stephen McCaffrey Emmy nominated for playing Elvis in the show Elvis from 1979 Golden Globe nominated for Silkwood, Fangoria Award winner for Bone Tomahawk, and also a 2016 Hall of Fame Fangoria Chainsaw Award winner. Stinker nominations for Miracle, Razzie nomination for Tango and Cash and 3,000 Miles to Graceland. He's also been in things like The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China, Captain Ron, Forrest Gump, Stargate, Escape from New York and L.A., and Death Proof. William Baldwin as Brian, Razzie nominated for Sliver and Fair Game. MTV Movie Award winner for Most Devi Desirable Male for Sliver, okay, which is surprising to me. Uh, and then he's been in things like Born on the Fourth of July, Flatliners, Shattered Image, Virus, Squid and the Whale, and also Backdraft 2, yeah. which we haven't talked about. Um, also in Backdraft 2, Donald's Donald Sutherland. He returns as Ronald Bartell. Um, how old? Okay. The second movie is released in 2019 yeah so direct to video or streaming video, or whatever yeah. you want to call it and i mean william ball i mean it's what 20 years later from 20 30 years later i'm just wondering mm -hmm. like donald sutherland is like his character like i would still be in jail and be like in his 80s or something <laughs> That's what I'm, I, guess we gotta I don't know the plot out. to it, but I just thought it was really interesting that they decided to do a sequel, like four to release it four years ago. I mean, that was that was like a big initiative for one of the studios. I guess it would have been this one. Was this? Uh, yeah, it was Universal. Yeah, Universal had like this big initiative to do a whole bunch of directed video type sequels for a lot okay. of their major properties, and so I guess this one got made. And included a couple stars. Interesting. But yeah, that was like a, you know, they wanted to take advantage of that market and do like a bunch of smaller little things. Um, Donald Sutherland, Emmy Award winner for Citizen X, nominated for Human Trafficking, uh, BAFTA nominated for Don't Look Now and Steel Yard Blues, Golden Globe winner for Citizen X and Path to War, nominated for MASH, Ordinary People, Without Limits, Commander-in-Chief, Human Trafficking, Trafficking, Dirty Sexy Money, The Undoing, whole bunch. Also, MTV Movie Award nominee for Hunger Games is the best villain. Razzie nominated for Lock Up, and he's in a couple more 1991 movies, Long Road Home, Buster's Bedroom, Scream of Stone, and JFK. Robert De Niro is Donald Rimgale, Oscar winner for Godfather Part Two and Raging Bull, uh, nominated for Taxi Driver, Deer Hunter, Awakenings, Cape Fear, Silver Linings Playbook, and also as a producer for The Irishman. 
Emmy nominated for his guest spot in SNL, and uh, Golden Globe nominated for New York, New York, Midnight, Midnight Run, Analyze This, Meet the Parents, Razzie nominated for Showtime, I Spy, Poodle Nash, Dirty Grandpa, and he's in one more 1991 movie, Guilty by Suspicion. I went over all that because we didn't really cover cast and crew too much in our first episode of Cape Fear. Jennifer, and most of these people are not in a whole lot of 1991 movies. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is in Crooked Hearts and Rush for 1991. Also Oscar nominated for Hateful Eight. Uh, Golden Globe nominated for Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle. And MTV Movie Award winner for Best Villain in Single White Female. A um, couple more people really quickly to mention. Scott Glenn is John Adcox. He is a Saturn-nominated uh, actor for Daredevil. Also, he's in 1991 Silence of the Lambs. My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys, and Women and Men 2. So we'll talk about him more uh, in the near future. Rebecca DeMornay, we've talked about her a couple of times on the podcast because mm-hmm. she won Best Villain for Hand the Rocks the Cradle at the mm-hmm. first MTV Movie Awards, even though that wasn't a 1991 movie. Um, also Razzie nominated for And God Can Tr- Created Women. So yeah, she has kind of like a smaller part as Helen, the wife of Stephen, in this. We didn't really talk about her character all that much in here. Uh, and then a couple notable cameos we got clinton howard of course yeah his uh, brother yeah the brother he's he's in virtually every single ron howard production if not all of them he also has an mtv movie award lifetime achievement award from 1998 um he we just recently saw him in rocketeer he had a brief cameo in that yeah. as well uh, he's in body chemistry 2 in silent night deadly night 5 uh otherwise people know him from rock and roll high school uh gentle ben as a child star himself, uh, Star Trek, the original series where he had a very notable one series, uh, one episode appearance, and like Ice Cream Man and a whole bunch of other horror movies. David Crosby also makes a cameo at the very front as like the hippie who's like, oh, my house is burning down. So it's weird that we've seen him twice in cameo roles, like Hook and then this, like, what the fuck? Uh, and yeah, then... what's, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> is he just like BFFs with a lot of big wig um directors i guess like ron howard's probably friends with him it's just like yeah i'll just have yeah. you walk on yeah bye that's weird uh but and then yeah <laughs> the last cameo i want to mention is don rimgale yeah uh he is in the movie he's a real person he is an arson investigator who retired in 1996 from that role but he did do a little bit of acting he's there as a party crony i don't know if that's the retirement party or um, if that's at the mayoral party on the boat, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what he looks like. Yeah, I have a picture of him because this movie is based off of real life people. Okay. Um, I have his obituary. So. Okay. So <laughs> I, I didn't have that in time to get the screenshots, but um, yeah, Don Rimgale is there, but he's also acted in a couple other things like Baby's Day Out. Yeah. And Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer Part Two. Apparently there's a part two to that movie, I didn't even and he's know. in that. He was in something else, but I could look that up when yeah. I look at his obituary. And J.T. Walsh is in a, several other 1991 movies, so uh, Iron May is defenseless and true identity played uh, Swayzak. Anyway, that's that. Awards, Oscar nominated a couple times over for Best Sound, Best, best Visual Effects, and Best Sound Effects Editing. All of those went to Terminator 2. I mean that's the right choice. <laughs> yeah, but I mean there. I mean, it's but all the, well done here. Yeah, well deserved I mean, nominations the, for sure. No, I'm just, yeah, T two is obviously better with all of those. But yeah, this is a 
it's, all of the effects and stuff for this was really cool. It's tough to go up against that powerhouse. Yeah. If if T two didn't exist, then it might have taken them all. Yeah. Uh, MTV Movie Award nomination for Best Action Sequence and also for Best Movie. And it was also part of a fake category called Best Blow-Ups, which I don't remember seeing that for T2. So I don't know how many other movies are in that fake category. They have blow-ups? Yeah. So T2 has I'd love to get a copy of the Movie Awards to see this stuff. Yeah. But that's about it for, for awards. Three Oscars and a couple MTV nominations and that was about it. Huge box office performance, but not a lot of critical acclaim. Uh, so we can move on to other true crime of pop culture. Yeah, a lot of the stuff we already spoke about, but this movie was released on May 24th, 1991, which was a Friday, and it was released on the same day as Drop Dead Fred and Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. And uh, we already talked about Bruce Hornsby <laughs> and the sequel. Uh, then I, I also said that like it, this was a theme park attraction. This mm-hmm. was at Universal Studios Hollywood, where I remember going as a child. And you just get escorted into a room. It's kind of like, do you ever do Universal Studios? I did it very early on, and a lot of this, the main attractions either were not working or were not built yet. That's... So things like King Kong yeah. were not working. Like, I remember going on the E.T. ride. Yeah. Back to the Future ride. Um, but yeah, there are a couple of like major things that just were not, because it was very early days of the park. That's a, That's exactly what it was for me. So it was just like... This isn't working. This isn't working. But you can go see Backdraft. And we're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we did like, oh, you can go to the Murder, She Wrote thing. Yeah. And we did. And my dad got picked to be one of the actors in the Murder, oh, She Wrote cool. performance. I mean, this is just like you go in a room and then you're surrounding a room by glass. And they show you how the Backdraft works. So it's how the fire starts, and then they show the backdraft, and then how they take it out, and then that's it. But um, that was at Universal Studios Hollywood from 1992 until 2010, and then it was replaced by the Transformers 3D ride, which Mm. is probably much better than just seeing a room about a fire. I just thought it was really funny where you're just like, you're a, you're like 12 and you're like you want to see like King Kong and stuff and then they're they're just like well all these things don't work but you can go yeah. to the backdraft room yeah. and we're all just like all right yeah I think we had to do some rides multiple times because yeah there was no earthquake there was maybe earthquake worked um there, but yeah no jaws no King Kong yeah like we had no jaws <laughs> yeah yeah I think it was the same when I went, I mean, I remember doing E.T., but I remember Jaws not working, and I don't think even King Kong, and we were just, it, it was like the early days, so everything was being built, and I just kind of remember being bored. <laughs> I was like, I want to see something cool. Yeah, we thankfully only planned for it the one day. Most of our time yeah. was at Disney when we went there, but... Um... 
And also this movie is based off of real life people. So the writer, what you mentioned before, the writer Gregory Wyden, the movie is loosely based off of the Hoff brothers. And I found the, I just found a couple articles there. One was from Chicago Sun-Times and then there was another thing from Firehouse and FireRescue.com because it showed the obituaries of these guys. It's based off of Raymond Hoff and, and his obituary said that he was a 32-year veteran where he died at the age of 77 and this is as of March 18th, 2011. He retired, and after he retired, he moved to Michigan to become a volunteer firefighter. So he was never really not firefighting, I guess. Mm -hmm. So Mr. Hoff was a third-generation Chicago firefighter. His grandfather retired as a captain in 1936, and his father, Thomas Hoff, was a battalion chief who was killed while fighting a blaze in a South Side apartment building, South Side Chicago apartment building in 1962. So yeah, this is. I, it doesn't say if he saw his father died though, right. or, or yeah, he didn't see his father dying while going with him, but his father did die, and then he does have a brother who was a firefighter too. He spent most most of his career working out of the state, the fire station at 46 and Cottage Grove, which is in the south side of Chicago. And then he became a captain on truck company number 10, which was at the station at Division in Larrabee, which is Cabri- was Cabrini Green in Chicago. Oh. And he was honored by the city for crawling through smoke to rescue two children in apartment fire a block from their fire station in May of 1993 and then two months earlier in March of 1993 he was first he was the first truck company officer to respond to a pack the Paxton Hotel fire that killed at least 20 people and left dozens injured mm-hmm. and then on to the obituary of Don Rimgale it's the same name he this is out of the firehouse.com website. It's on November 16, 2017, where Don, the real Don Rimgale, he passed away at the age of 77. He was a former arson investigator and fire marshal with the Chicago Fire Department, where Robert De Niro played him in Backdraft. Rimgale retired from the Chicago Fire Department in 1996 after 31 years of service and he made what you said earlier he made his film debut with a small role in Backdraft and then he was also in the movie Baby's Day Out and he was in The Fugitive. So we get into rankings and ratings here. We're on your one to five star scale. Are you going to put Backdraft? Gonna give this movie a three. A three? I'm yeah. I'm 
even though I said I'm like sort of talking myself out of liking it, it doesn't mean that I don't like the movie. It's just it's not as strong as like my initial first impressions were from like watching the visual side of things. Uh, on my zero to four star scale, I'm gonna say it's like a two and a half. It's it's certainly above average, but yeah, like the if the plot stuff was better, then the whole thing would be great. Uh, every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch this again? No, <laughs> I don't. It's just I don't hate it, but it's just like what I said before. It's just like watching Chicago Fire. Even though I don't even watch Chicago Fire anymore, but it's just like. If I want to see a drama about fires, then I'll just watch Chicago Fire, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's a fair I don't, point. I don't know. I don't know. Like, if I'm in a mood for a movie about firefighters... This like, is, like, the is only like one. one of the only ones you got to choose from. So, I mean, from that perspective, then sure I would. Um, but realistically, would I watch it again? Probably not likely... I mean, maybe for a few minutes if I happen to catch it on and if it's on a good scene, but that's about it. I do have something else where this movie made $152 million worldwide, making it the highest grossing film about firefighters until 2007 when it was I Pronounce You Chuck and Larry. <laughs> Which okay, was okay, but that's like loose definition of the category. Cause aren't they just firefighters? I I can't remember I don't that know. movie. I never I never saw the movie. Oh, but I thought they were just firefighters, and it's not even about them firefighting. It's about them like going to a wedding and getting married or something. But I just thought that yeah, was it's, it's hilarious. Not about like firefighting. Yeah, that's. I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'd be curious to like watch snippets of Backdraft two before. <laughs> I'm kind of curious again. about the story between Billy Baldwin's character and Donald Sutherland's character. Like, does he consult him again? Is Bartell out and he's being an arson again? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure it's bad, but I mean, it, it's it piques my curiosity just ever if it's so slightly free somewhere then i'll watch it but i'm not gonna i don't think it is rent. weirdly uh. um anyway if because regular backdraft it is also not free so if you want to watch backdraft as of this recording in april 2023 it's available as digital rental vhs or dvd as always check your local listings because that could change as far as you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're continuing our action theme with Retreat of the Godfather. That's only available on VHS, so good luck finding a copy. We'll see you then. Thanks. <laughs>